On this episode of Profane Faith, I get a chance to sit down with Rediette Mulungeta. She is a national recruiter at Mission Year, an Ethiopian sister, and a sharp mind on theology. Check it out. That America is a place where all things are possible. That is some group of people, thousands. Described as a demon. I hate you, naturally. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible. Welcome to Profane Faith a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Welcome to the the lab. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you so much for, for coming over. Thank you. I was I was hoping it didn't, didn't freak you out too much, you know, the, the movies where you know people go down to the basement and then I live in a basement, so I'm good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love basements. That's good. That's good. That's good. So tell us a little bit about your background. What um for the listeners, where'd you grow up? How are you mm. theologically informed? And all that good stuff. That yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So I was born in Ethiopia, Um, so my family immigrated to the United States in 1996 when I was five years old. Um, It's it was just my my mom, my dad and my brother. Um, And growing up, um, even at five, I just remember um, much of our time was spent at school or at church. So my parents Mm. were really involved, um, influenced by Christianity there. Um, So my dad grew up christian um and then my my mom also grew up in a christian family as well um so yeah so much of their um faith um as ethiopians i get a lot of questions about um were you orthodox christian Uh, or um so we were more evangelical um i would say and so we moved to When we moved to the United States, we were um, plugged in straight into the Ethiopian community. So much of my upbringing was in the Ethiopian church, which means all Ethiopians. Much of the service was in Amharic. um, And then we had youth group, um, which was a lot of our um, those who were born and raised here. So yeah. it was that part was in English. So the uh, okay. adults were separated from the youth. Ah. Um, yeah. So it was just an interesting dynamic. Um, interesting. Yeah. So that was much of my um, upbringing. I feel like was focused on um, a, a, Christi- a type of faith type of Christianity that was um, vertically focused is what I would say. Oh, um, so my relationship with God uh-huh. um, and looking at sin, what is sin and yeah. that emphasis. Um, yeah. But there wasn't as much um, horizontal. So like my relationship with my neighbors, yeah. um, conversations around justice, what is it, what does it look like um, and how do I live that out? Um, so I felt like there was a bit of disconnect and that's not to say that all church 
Ethiopians are like sure, that. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, but just in the context that I was in, that was a pattern that I became aware of. Interesting. Um, so by the time I was 18 um, and went to college, I went to Seattle Pacific. SPU. And was involved with the John Perkins Center, um, Uh studied global development. So a lot of that opened up my eyes um, to be able to see how I desired my faith to be really interconnected Mm. with the injustices that I was seeing in the world and in my community. Um, So, yeah. yeah, So there was shifts from 18 to now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So for the past 10 years or so, I've been... Um, really trying to unlearn some things and relearn um, some other things um, okay. and really understand what what it means for me to be Ethiopian, to be Christian, mm. and then to be in the context that I'm in now. Man, and so and, and what is the context you're in now? Yeah, so <laughs> from Seattle, after I graduated, I moved to Houston and participated in Mission Year. Um, okay. I did that for a couple of years and have been with them um, with the organization for several years. Um, okay. so I live in North Lawndale here in Chicago. North um, Lawndale, so right. I'm about to hit my two year mark, um, living in the community, working, um, and also doing work focused on inviting individuals from outside of our community to come for the purposes of learning, yeah. um, rather than consuming. Um, so mm. they are Whoa. coming in to participate in dialogue <laughs> yes. rather than saying, you know, I'm doing this mission trip, um, sacrificing myself. Yes. Um, and I'm doing great things. And then I get to go back home. Um, we've shifted the conversation to talk more about what does it look like for you to um, be here, but not consume the yes. stories. That's deep. People. I don't know if you can share a little bit about it because that's that, as you, I mean one of my things is like I've I've been vehemently against short term missions for over a decade. Yes. Um, and <laughs> so I mean just even the terminology of mission missionary. Um, I was with um, let's see I spoke for uh, what is it uh, crew which is used to be yes. campus crusade. Yeah. And, you know, and hearing the the dialogue that they had to go through to get rid of the crusade because you know just there's so much weight to that word can you talk a little bit about how that transformation happens because i'm sure there's people listening that have that have that have pushed back on me and been like well but this is god has called us to the mission field and and we feel calm we're here we're coming to help yeah absolutely don't you guys want some help yeah absolutely (laughs) um that's a really good question so i would say um to hit on a little bit more background of my story Um, when I was in first, second grade, I remember, um, a lot of people would be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh You know, your typical question, especially when you're, um, in American school, you focus on the future and like what you want (laughs) to be. And, um, so I remember, (laughs) I remember, um, just thinking, oh, I want to be a nurse and I want to be a missionary nurse. Mm. Um, and I want to go to, um, I want to go to Zimbabwe. And then I remember telling my dad that and he's like, why Zimbabwe? And I'm like, Zimbabwe just sounds really cool. It's really fun <laughs> right, to say. Right. Um, but I think from then, like, I really thought about what does it look like for me, um, as someone who is Ethiopian to mm-hmm. be in America, um, my family intentionally choosing to be here. So we weren't forced here. Um, 
And I think I started unpacking like when I was in college, just had an opportunity to go to Rwanda and I was the only person of color going. Wow. Wow. In my group. Yeah. Is that? So I remember sitting down with one of my um, mentors and just really uh, wrestling with actually several mentors. And I had this question of, um, how will I be received Hmm. when I go to Rwanda as an Ethiopian American missionaries? When I think of missionary and I was, I remember missionaries when I was little, when I was in Ethiopia, even when I think of missionaries, I think of European white, um, -hmm. people who are going, um, maybe taking pictures, think that little black babies are cute. Right. Um, right. We'll put them on Instagram. Yeah. Instagram wasn't there back then. I don't know what they did with those pictures. Um, but (laughs) yeah, just really wrestling with why aren't there more people like me who go to places Mm -hmm. where there's more people that look like them. Yeah. Um, and, and serve in that context or come alongside people in that context, um, be informed or share stories and just journey together. Um, in that, in a different context. Um, so I feel like my, my understanding of missions, um, after going to Rwanda, um, then I graduated and then ended up in Houston, Texas, living in an all African American community. Um, with all white housemates um, and really spending that year recognizing how my neighbors received me and how my neighbors received my housemates. Okay. Um, and just recognizing that there was this sense of um, connection that I felt um, to my neighbors. Um, I think a like an understanding of why the world was the way that it was or an understanding of like, there were some unspoken things that I just understood because of the body that I'm in, you know, as a black woman. Um, whereas, you know, for some of my housemates, there were a lot more questions and it was like, I need to learn. And, um, (laughs) which is a beautiful thing. Um, but I think that, um, with the, and I, I haven't looked too much in the history of like when did missions start? When did this concept start in the U.S.? Um, I, w- I won't nerd out on you. It's it's I in mean, my new book, but uh, okay, plug. <laughs> just, no, I'm just messing with you. Is it really though? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and there's and also um, Brian Howell. He's a he's he got some good stuff. He's a professor over at uh, Wheaton. Actually. Oh, okay, and so he's written a lot on the, the history of missions. And I'm I'm part of the. American Society of Missiologists. Okay, I guess we need to talk after this podcast, right? <laughs> That's right. And so, yeah, that was uh, going to Fuller. That was missions. I mean, there's a big... So Fuller is probably one of the biggest That's right. missionary sending folks. And so there's a big history there. There's, yeah. there's archives there. And so, yeah. That's, yeah. But it was essentially around... The, I mean, missionary work's been going on for forever for a long time. But yeah. the modern movement, what you're talking about, late 40s, particularly okay. after post-World War II. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, I think after participating in my first year, mm-hmm. um, I began to do a lot more, I guess, um, digging deep within okay. myself to yeah. understand what are my motives of being here yeah. am i am i consuming mm-hmm. um am i doing this so that um i 
gain something for myself? Is my presence here even making a difference? Um, and actually, um, I remember my first year recognizing that um, I I had a harder time naming the transformation that I saw in others okay. based off of my choosing to be there. Yeah. But I could name a list of things that I learned from my neighbors um, mm. that transformed and flipped everything that I believed about faith, yeah. um, about community, about being um, intentional and working in these spaces. Um, yeah, and the and the things that I once disconnected from my faith, whether it was conversations about race, um, economics, whatever it may be, yeah. that they need to be in, interconnected yeah. in order for me to be someone who... Um, yeah, I think in order for me to live out my mm-hmm. faith fully. Um, so after doing that, I mm-hmm. now lead and um, invite you know random people <laughs> that I may not know when they come in. I basically set it up so that short term, we call them justice strips, happen um, in the cities that our organization is located in. Mm. Um, so I am the one that says, yeah, like this works for us. So let me set it up. Let me make sure that you're, um, you have housing, food, but then also service opportunities. Okay. Um, and then what makes me feel good about what I'm doing? Because yeah. <laughs> yes. there are, as someone who's done a little bit of um, digging about who else is doing the work that we're doing, mm-hmm. um, I do cringe sometimes. Um, yeah. There's still a little bit of resistance naturally mm-hmm. that I have of is this beneficial or is this harmful? There's that constant question that yeah. I have um, whenever groups do come in. And I think I will never get rid of that right. question. Um, right. And sometimes I would say like, yeah, like I, maybe like there are certain people that I'm like, ah, you should have just not come, you know. <laughs> um, but then yeah. there's some moments where... Um, we have people that really desire to get it and they mm-hmm. do um, and then they go back home in their context and then they live it out so they don't come back yeah. move to the city or say we want to keep coming back for our sake rather okay. than um, rather than like thinking about the implications of being in a neighborhood like ours right um, so I would say that I tread lightly um, around um, what it means to be committed to the work that I am and inviting basically strangers to come and participate in the work that our neighbors are consistently doing day in and day out. Yeah. And I feel like, um, like this whole is this a consumption question Okay, um, has been really helpful for me um, to create a framework where um, if you're going to be here for a week, then Mm -hmm. this is how we're going to do it. We're (laughs) going to, there you go. That's right. We have these partners and these individuals that you need to hear from and we do it our way, not your way, which is probably um, we have ideas. Can we bring our ideas to you? We say, no, (laughs) no, Like, great ideas, but that's not what we need. Yeah. Um, so, I think that, um, I don't know if that answers No, that answers. Question. No, that's real good. Yeah. I wrestle well, a lot with this question, if you 
can't yeah. tell. No, I'm glad. That's the whole point of the podcast. Yeah. It's profane faith. Yeah. This is wrestling and the tension. Yeah. It feels, this work feels messy. Yeah. Um, it yeah. feels really, it feels really hard. Um, especially because I know what the motive of this work is. Yeah. But doing harm um, yeah. is inevitable. And so that feels, that feels really hard to be a part of this space. Um, yes. So moments where I see beauty and um, moments where I see like people quote unquote getting it. Yeah. Um, and responding in ways that is edifying to our neighbors and our partners in our cities. Yeah. Um, is what, what propels me um, and has me diving deeper into like, how, how do we change this framework? Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, this is, man, that's amazing. I got so many questions. So, and again, feel free to just let it out. Yeah. Often this time, is like therapy. Uh, yes, that's right. You know and, how I feel about therapy. Uh, <laughs> that's right. I love it. Oh, I love therapy. I mean, it's, it has changed my whole life, literally. <laughs> I'm, on Amen. My, I'm on my happy pills now. Yeah. So, um, and so for those of you listening, I guess I've, my allergies just kicked in. And so that's that's wonderful when you're recording. I know. Oh, oh. Um, and there's pets in the background. So this is this is this is this is straight up. My question then is what changed for you after November 2016? Whew. <laughs> or maybe not. I, may, I mean, that changed. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I frame it that way. But what for you after the election, after a, a brutal, probably one of the worst that I've seen in my lifetime of politics and yes. just the involvement and the interest where we're at with consumption and media and and name calling what how did you interpret all that where are you at now with that yeah <laughs> i wish i had like a one sentence elevator speech that responds to this with the amount of times that people have asked this question but each time like my first reaction is that oof like that's a big right. question right. um right and then how the hell do i answer that because it feels like a lot changed um i think um if i am to like look back to november uh -huh. um one of the things that i felt rising up in me was distrust um mm. with um the way things quote unquote these are the way this is just the way things are right, right. like i think there was a lot of an apathetic response from people that I trusted to be for me, about me, mm -hmm. um, about people who look like me, who say they care about racial reconciliation, yeah. who say they care about justice, um, and their inability to see why this was a big deal. Why is this a big deal? <laughs> right, and I think right. experiencing that in, you know, I... I feel like I operate in different worlds. Mm. Um, so I have, you know, I operated in the Ethiopian community. So mm -hmm. the way that I engage with my parents in this conversation is different. Um, the way that I operate in the nonprofit world, Christian nonprofit world is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like what was really surprising and caught me off guard was really close friends that have said, I love you. I am for you. I see you. 
just totally say you're making a big deal out of it. Um, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that was that was really painful because these are people that are like God is in control. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what God you're praying to. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because oh, yeah. the God that I'm praying to doesn't respond to me in that way. Of, right. I'm in control. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, the God that I pray to moves me to action, moves me to truth telling, um, moves me towards vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, not just words. Um, yeah. yeah. So I feel like my, um, you know, thankfully I transitioned to a new church that felt like we offered each other space to okay. grieve, um, to ask questions, um, without necessarily needing answers right away. Okay. Um, I felt like the approach to the work that I do shifted mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we are having, you know, with a volunteer program like Mission Year, yeah. we have people coming from all walks of life, different ideals, different um, perspectives, coming in and choosing to sit at the table together. Yeah. Um, so how do we facilitate these conversations in such a time as this. Um, yeah. Which is super hard. Because. <laughs> yeah. I am. I believe strongly about what I believe. Mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah. So. I think. Yeah. So that changed. Um, and I think. Um, one of the biggest things that has. That I haven't really had the opportunity to explore as much. Mm-hmm. Is identity questions um so talk about it much of that um i haven't been around the ethiopian community in a long time um like outside of my family um the context that i've been living in is separated from the Mm. ethiopian community in this context yeah um so i have been wrestling with why these conversations aren't happening as much within my people group i guess um so i've i've just been wondering a little bit about what narratives are told internationally to make america look great um america look like it is the place to be to build um it's a this um narrative of security um absolutely yep a future safety (laughs) and all of that big time Um, safety and I recognize that it's all false. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that I recognize that how much the church perpetuates that false narrative. Do you think, let me just ask this real quick. Do you think that as you're talking about that, that hit, I mean, when you think about this false narrative, do you think that's some of the pushback then? I mean, I know that's what people said about with, with, with Bush. I mean, not Bush. <laughs> we, some people would welcome Bush right now, but with, right. with, with 45 and, and Trumpster, like, do you think that's some of the pushback? I mean, along with having a black man in, in the presidency mm-hmm. for eight years, I think that's, uh, that's, that's part of it. Do you think that's some of the, uh, the, the deal i mean I, i'm I'm, and I'm genuinely yeah. asking i'm not rhetorically asking yeah say that so well do you think that so you talk about that false narrative do you yeah think, so i i perceive a lot of folks feeling like and particularly white america feeling like my country's changing yeah you know as of 2011 we're no longer the the predominant you know race being born mm-hmm. lgbtq false. people have right rights um, there's the threat of war. There's this this entity that's out there and terrorism. Yeah. 
And now we have somebody who can save us from all of these things. <laughs> we have one man who can save one us. One white man. One white man. Mm-hmm. One rich white man yeah. who can save us from this. And so, I don't know, because I hear some of the narratives from the right about how they feel a sense of loss of of, of a lot of different things, particularly around what you were talking about, though, mm-hmm. that narrative of I want to be safe, mm-hmm. I, I want to prosper, right? Yeah. All the coal people, you know, it's like, and, and I mean, look, anybody listening out there with coal, I don't know too many places that are making coal solar panels, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know so, I don't know. I mean, I'm just asking, genuinely yeah, asking a question. I mean, that's a good, that's a really good question. I, I honestly began to realize that and question that when I travel, um, when I traveled to Rwanda, that was in 2010, and I was really struck by them saying, actually, we're praying for you in America. Um, so, like, we're inviting you here wow. so that you can learn f- from us because uh-huh. there's work that you need to do. Okay. And so when I came back, I recognized that there was a disconnect, um, this false narrative because of the lack of conversations that were happening around um who we were as quote unquote Americans um, in the specifically in the church space. I think I desired and craved for church to be a place that was countercultural that created space for us to talk about everything that we needed to talk about in order to be um, the people that we are outside of the church walls. Right. 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 Um, But that wasn't happening at all. Um, We were talking about prosperity. We were talking about, um, you know, going up to people and praying for them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I come, yeah, evangelical, charismatic yeah. type of faith. So, um, yeah, so it just felt like, it felt, it felt dirty to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I think, you know, November was really, I hate that November happened, Um, but I like looking back now, I think it was really necessary for me and my faith journey for the realities that weren't as blatant um, to be blatant. Um, That way I'm not just um, going to sleep thinking everything is all right. Everything is dandy. I'm a good Christian. That's all that matters. I'm a good person. That's all (laughs) right. Like, but that there is like this urgency that it instilled in my faith. So, so as as you were talking about that, I wanted to play for you a clip. Yeah. Of a video. Okay. And I'm not going to show you the race of this person. Okay. Yet. Okay. <laughs> and I want. I, I like this keep, game. Yeah. <laughs> good. 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 <laughs> I I want I I just want to get. I'm just going to play. And this thing goes on for like nine minutes. So I'm going to okay. play the full nine minutes. But I I want you. I would love to get your response. Okay. Awesome. All right. Here we go. Oh my God, Charlottesville, white supremacy is alive and well. Run. Stop. If you are a black person and you express some irrational fears this week over the rise of the Klansmen and neo-Nazis, let me invite you over for a cup of hot steaming facts. Fact number one. Approximately 93% of black homicide victims are killed by other black people. In 2014, 6,095 black people were killed and virtually all of them were killed by other black people. 
Black Lives Matter protesters may want to consider extending their slogan to Don't shoot! Because we've already got it covered. And you're not special, white people. Seriously, in 2012, 84% of white homicides were committed by other white people. Go figure. It's like we're all racist towards our own selves. Nobody wants us dead more than we want ourselves dead. I mean, there are, what, 6,000 Klansmen left in our nation? You want me to actually process that as a legitimate fear every day when I wake up? It's Donald Trump's fault that they're feeling energized. It's Obama's fault that Black Lives Matter is violent. Both of you children, to your room. It's obviously the media's fault. I mean, the media is creating this entire narrative, and it is crazy, absolutely crazy to me that people have not figured this out yet. I mean, why do you think we didn't hear a single thing about David Duke, white supremacy, and the KKK the entire time Obama was in office? Do you think that they were all hiding underground, waiting for the next white president, meeting by the light of the moon? Do you really actually believe that they weren't still meeting, holding protests, having rallies and marches? Maybe the media wasn't covering it. Use your brain. I mean, the media is literally... All right, I'll stop there. <laughs> Thoughts on that? Oh man, she liked to cover both sides, right? Yeah, well, um, you know, she's African American. Hmm. So this was sent Ooh. to me by a a colleague. Said, "Look at this. Watch this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Educate yourself." Right. Right. It's one of yours, you know. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> So mm. thoughts on this, because this is kind of, when you were talking, I was like, all right, let me, let me, it's obviously, I, I, I have thoughts on this. I have a lot of thoughts on yeah. this. <laughs> you know, my initial reaction is this isn't really helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, um, I mean. Sorry, the dogs and the cat. Uh, animal kingdom. Yes, it is animal kingdom. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I feel like um, that was kind of like fact checking. Um, that wasn't necessarily responding to what happened. Was it two weeks ago now? Yeah, yeah. isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. Um, and um, I feel like it wasn't really addressing to the roots of what, um, like, I didn't wake up on um, wh whatever day that was. I think it was a Friday that it happened Friday or Saturday it was well, yeah right because I think it was Friday evening yeah. when I started seeing posts about you know there's white nationalists marching yeah. and then Saturday is when it really popped off yeah I'd be surprised if black people woke up that morning and were shocked that um yeah. I really would be because yeah. because I I think even just in um the little that I know I know that this conversation has intensified um, in terms of Black Lives Mattering. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that there's been a lot of things that I've witnessed on social media where people behind their computer screens are yeah. saying white lives matter or saying all lives matter um, without really wanting to learn and engage in conversation yeah. about where is this coming from? I'm not aware. Um, so, yeah, I think um, this is like one of... I don't know who this person is and if they'll listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, good for you for voicing it, but it's not been something beneficial for me to hear. <laughs> how would you, so how would you, cause I guess, I mean, so it's not just her. I mean, some of the, 
some of the uh, and here's the thing. I mean, there's two things. There is a white kind of I don't want to say majority or minority, but there's there's a sort of a a group of whites that just won't voice this face. Right? They yeah. get behind the computer on social media mm-hmm. and, and talk about this. But this has been some of the the feedback. It's like, whoa, but blacks, you know, y'all kill each other more than this, and you know the disparity, yeah. you know, and then I, you know that what was it that one meme that was going around, which has now been debunked about the statistics of of blacks being killed by police and stuff, yeah. and that you know that it shows the numbers, and then it, it then it shows like how many uh, white police officers kill police. So I guess how would you respond to that? Because <laughs> I imagine this would come mm. up somewhere in those ministry evangelical circles. It does. It really does. Um, there are things that shock me even now. Um, you know, um, we I recently facilitated a group of people um, and we had um, someone who's white and someone who's black talk about race together. Um, majority of this group that was listening was white. Okay. Um, and one of them raised their hand and said, oh, is racism an issue? Um and this is post-Trump, right? Or like now, now. This was like two it's, months ago. Right. Um, and I literally oh, like man. looked around like, what? <laughs> what right. is going on? Yeah. And um, also, um, I've been trying to cut down social media for health reasons. But yeah. yes. there are certain people that I follow um and um, one of them has been screenshotting responses. Um, Leroy Barber. Oh yeah, um, he's uh-huh. doing that NFL kneel he down is, yeah, thing. Yeah, the kneel. Yep. Uh huh. The blackout. And he's yeah, and he's um, he's screenshotted some responses that people have been um, giving him. Oh boy. Um, and I've read some of them, and I'm like, holy shit! <laughs> people suck. Right. <laughs> People suck and they should stop sucking. Um, That's the nice way of putting it. Um, But, you know, this person went from like, why don't, basically it's like, why don't you just quit anyway? Because things like, he just was like, this is not working. Has this worked before? Um, You know, like there are people larger than you that are in charge of, I don't know too much about football, but it was just like basically <laughs> just, saying people with power and money yeah. are not going to change their mind. So you might as well just not do this. Um, and also, like, as you're talking about this, like, what about black on black crime? And right. it just like right. he took he went from one thing to like always ending it with yeah. black people kill black people, too. Right. Um, and so I feel like my when people go there mm. and choose to go there yeah um one if i have a relationship with that person and i care to engage and put my energy into that conversation i think it goes to like um recognizing like how dismissive that is yeah um that is like a very circular way of like not addressing the root um i think that recently i've been talking um with a group of people about there being a vulnerability issue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in what is happening right now. There isn't this desire. Um, I think that's um, that, that type of response, this black on black or like these things that come down to just that statement. Right. um, That is like a unwillingness to engage with your heart, with your mind in this conversation because you know, it will expose 
some of the things that you mm. you probably carry. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I think that like social media has been something that um, like for a lot of us, I think social media has been where we're engaging the most yeah. in these conversations. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I think um, for a lot of people, it's probably a little bit quote unquote safer. Um, to engage in these conversations behind a computer screen mm-hmm. um, rather than face to face. And I think, you know, um, if I'm to bring back like my thoughts around church and why church doesn't always feel the safest, um, the church hasn't really been conducive in like pushing people to have conversations face to face. So I think that like these conversations and these statements are going to continue to be made because the church isn't really equipping congregants. Yeah to have these conversations um, to expose what it is that they truly are navigating through on the inside. I have more people of color saying this is painful, more people of color that are um, honest with where they're at. Um, And I think like I see um, others, um, white people on the sidelines, Um, Mm -hmm. which is really painful. Um, Yeah. Especially because this country is made for them, you know, white people. Right. So, um, yeah. What would then, would you say, as we're talking here, I mean, I'm just, like I said, I'm thinking of a few things. But, so the thing that keeps coming up, and one of the things that I'm challenged with and wrestling with is, I mean, I think, for example, CCDA, the three R's, right? Relocation, redistribution, (laughs) reconciliation. I think those sounded good for me in the 90s. Like, you know, that was great. And reading yes. Baki and going into the city and helping all these poor little niggas, you know. And so, even though I was a nigga too. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. oh, but um, I'm trying to just figure out what does, because there's, there's a side that comes out in these situations, right? In Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity, of forgiveness. We have to reconcile with our brothers and sisters, our white brothers and sisters. And so I'm not there anymore. I think that was for me was that was one of the big things that changed for me. That's right. After the November election was like, huh. When I saw that big number, 81 percent, 81 percent of white evangelicals voted for for Trump. Yeah. And that for me lost every bit of respect for anyone who says I'm conservative, white, and 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 and, and Republican because I'm like, wait, you tout no divorce, marriage, okay? Well, this man obviously it's not that. Exactly. <laughs> I was gonna say something else. Say it. Uh, he, the entire narrative of Trump contradicts what Christians say they are there you go that's the nicest way that i could put it (laughs) and it is so (laughs) so so disturbing very so disturbing very that especially when people will um people will stand continue to stand by him um yes evangelicals will continue to stand by him and say that they are christian um but negate the fact that he talks about women's bodies the way that he does. Um, that right. is a explicit to me. Women do not matter. Um, oh, it's, it's absolutely. Yeah. Um, when he talks about um, when he others individuals. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I'm it's 
we're in a disturbing time. Um, yes, we are. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> yes, exactly. If y'all could see Reddy's face right now. <laughs> this is great. Um, well, I guess I'm because well, one of the things, like I said, I'm wrestling with is what does this reconciliation look like to a group of folks that I don't feel want to be reconciled? And what I mean right. by that is a large portion of white America. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, don't get me wrong, I think there's some ethnic minorities in there as well. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the one, the little video that I showed you here, that yeah. I, I, I don't even know this woman, but when this was sent to me. Um, You're like, like, oh, shit. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, oh, son of a... You know, I just basically responded with a, a, a one line. Thing. I was like, this is just a straw hat argument, period. Yeah. But yeah. what do you think? Take one of my classes and yeah. pay for it. Right. <laughs> but take one then of my I'll classes. Then I'll give you what I Right. Think. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I am. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what does reconciliation look like to a group of do- who don't want to? What is reconciliation? This idea of coming together and, oh, we got to invite them. I was part of a planning committee for, uh, for a, a pretty progressive conference. And everybody's like, well, how can we create space mm-hmm. for those on the right? And I'm like, first of all, they ain't coming. <laughs> they ain't coming. Y'all are LGBT and Q right. inclusive. So that right there, they ain't coming. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that because yeah. that keeps coming up right now. Oh, yeah. we got to pray more. Oh, we got to, you know, go and, and be witness. Yeah. This is just like a sin issue. Right. Um, yeah. I, um, now I, I have, I, I give credit similarly to CCDA and yeah. the reconciliation, redistribution, yeah, relocation yeah. to be like a catapult into this world for me. Um, and I think, I mean, our organization is still a part of sure. CCDA. So um, is so is and mm-hmm. right. Um, <laughs> but in order to get it better, we have to critique it, right? Yes. Um, and I think that um, in 2000, Eight two thousand to like two thousand twelve mm-hmm. is when I was like exposed to CCDA okay. principles and values and yeah. took a couple of classes and all of that. Um, I think it worked. It quote unquote worked then. Yeah. It needs to be revamped and changed to like respond to like what's happening now. Um, I think that um, when I went to one of the conferences, I was highly aware of. Um, I think it was. Um, her name is Rahel. She was speaking at yes. the conference yes. and she was like, she was just yes. going and going yes. and talking about black bodies. And I looked around the room and I recognized that majority of the space was white men. Yes. Yes. It has been. It has been for, for a while now, too. And I, as a, as a black woman, an Ethiopian American woman, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I felt like um, recognizing that in that moment yeah. and recognizing the responses that um, I feel like I carry like tension in my body. Like if someone's feeling mm-hmm. like uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like the discomfort that yes. I felt in that space yes. was really high. Yes. It was really high. Right. Um, and it makes me wonder if um, this idea of relocation, redistribution, and reconciliation is held to a standard that allows um, these white successful men who know how to run a business mm-hmm. keep doing what they're doing without really um, doing the work 
right? Um, yeah, so it, it feels like um, like there needs to be like at this point reconciliation, redistri- redistribution, and relocation. Relocation. There's a critique that that's probably um, increasing gentrification in a lot of the communities. Right. Reconciliation. How could we talk about reconciliation if um, white men are securing their place in these organizations and not passing it off to people of color that are from the communities that they're in? Right. Um, or can we even talk about reconciliation um at all because what are we being reconciled to or with if yeah um and then redistribution like yeah um so (laughs) you're right so i i think that like um yeah like i i wonder i wonder if there is a shift that needs to happen um and I know I participated in um, also the Women of Color Retreat. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and there uh-huh. were some really interesting conversations that came out of that space um, that were really beneficial for me um, and the commitments that I've made post those retreats. Um, I feel like, um, yeah, like I admire and respect a lot of the leaders that come from that space and are in that space. Yeah. Um, but there's just this curiosity of like, is there an urgency um, for us to respond to what's happening right now um, from this community? Because I think one of the the and, and, and hands down, I've asked folks like, you know, what where do we go from from here? Yeah, you know what I mean, from here, because I feel like there was a major social tectonic shift yeah. in November. Yeah. And I think those things happen throughout time. 9-11 was one of those. Yes. We're never going back to pre-9-11 Mm-mm. days. You're always going right? yep. to always gonna have to have small liquids in your in your carry-on yeah. and pay $14 for water at the airport. That's right. <laughs> That's never going away. You're never going to be able to greet people at the gate anymore. Right. Nope. Yeah. And, you know, we're always got bag of fees. Yep. But... I don't know for me after you know I went you know I did what I knew I needed to do which after the election I went to my guild American Academy of Religion and a lot of people that I respect are there um, Eddie Cloud, Cornell West mm-hmm. uh, Kelly Brown Douglas um, Michelle Alexander who's an algorithm yes. teaching at Union yeah <laughs> seminary but all of them were just still kind of like I mean what and I, I remember Michelle Alexander actually saying she's like the stuff that we've been doing is not working has not worked right and to try to take on one component of it is almost doing injustice to what i mean it's just a systemic thing and i'm not trying to take a fatalist approach be like oh it's hopeless forget about it but i just for me my methodological approach is Mm -hmm. fundamentally changed like i don't think we can keep doing the same thing expecting i feel like different results right exactly i think Mm -hmm. feel like that's insanity i mean i don't know but you what are your thoughts on all that? Moving forward. Moving forward, yeah. The 2020 election. I think um, one of the things that I've been really, in- <sighs> I don't know if encouraged is the right word, um, but one of the things that I have been drawn to is recognizing that I'm not alone in recognizing that something is wrong. Um, yeah. I'm not insane. Yeah. I'm not, um, you know, I've intentionally... Um, asked um, women of color to be my mentors in this time that are older than me, that are definitely wiser than me. Um, 
that continue to contribute to my unpacking and processing and asking that question of um, as a leader in the space that I am in, um, how do I shift conversations and how do I shift um, people's lens of seeing the world um, by these conversations, right? right? Well, it's not me that's shifting, but how do I create these spaces um, that give room for that? Yes. Um, and I think that with um, the direction that we're heading, um, one of my longings is rec like individuals, especially leaders, to recognize that um, that that are in this similar space of mm things have not been working we need to reimagine right um in a new way um that there is an invitation for um doing that in community that yeah. it's not individuals saying oh things have to, things have got to change i'm going to change them um because i think that could also cause damage yes. um but i think there's power in us sitting together and lamenting and then also um envisioning how God is calling us to move in this time. Yes. Um, and I think we could go further if we do that. And if we take the time to do that, mm -hmm. um, at the rate that things are happening, there's like things that feel really urgent, but I think right. that we're in this for a while, a long time. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't think just, you know, impeaching Trump will change much. Oh, right. I think exactly. the next, like whatever happens next will also be, um, will feel harder um right. which is which feels you know which i'm like come jesus now yes. <laughs> like take us all yes <laughs> take the good yes. the good ones <laughs> You're right um but yeah so i think one of my um like nothing will change if we're not willing to sit in and reimagine um together um i think that things will continue to like repeat themselves um if we don't invite if we don't invite individuals that are, um, if we don't invite individuals to the table mm -hmm. um, with us to reimagine how we um, pastor, how we create these spaces, yeah. especially in this faith space, yeah. I feel like they're in the long run, um, not much is going to change and things are going to get worse. And um, mm. yeah, and I think that more people will actually leave the church um and say we're not about this um yeah. which is a fa painful reality um yeah w one of the things that was really encouraging to me um post um after the elections a group of leaders went to south africa and something that i've not been able to shake from my time there um is how um they do a lot of like contextual scripture reading. Yeah. Um, so what does the Bible have to say about like this? Mm, yeah. And they sit together in scripture and do like theology of, you know, politics or theology of um, food, theology of race. Uh -huh. um, and then they like respond to like, they ask the question of um, 
Yeah, one of the leaders, Renee August, is in South Africa. Okay. And she said that, you know, we sit with these scriptures and we respond um, and ask the questions, what are the realities of the community that we're in? Mm-hmm. You know, um, what are people wrestling with yeah. the most, struggling with the most? Wow. And I think pastors need to do that more and leaders <laughs> need to do that more of saying, yeah. what are the realities of my congregation? Um, what are the, you know, what are the unspoken things that I yeah. know, um, like people in their homes Monday through Saturday are holding. Um, And I don't know what this would look like for all white congregations that are pro-Trump. I can't speak to that. Um, But I'm just curious as to like what transformation would happen if we're willing to sit with um, these questions and use scripture to um, respond. That's good. I like that. That's that is really good. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I, I don't think enough folks are are. I think part of it too is is that folks want to rush to a solution, mm-hmm. but they don't know and yeah. they haven't taken it into account. So I think the the, the knee jerk reaction is like, oh, well, let's just pray, let's forgive, and let's kind of get back to what's normal. But yeah. I think you said it. I, I think you're right. I like what what's coming next is like this is this is where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not we're not going back we're, yeah. this is what it is yeah what um what were we gonna say something I, yeah well i was gonna say you know there are online activists that are doing great work mm-hmm. um but the i mean i see myself as a regular person i'm not an i'm not a academic i go to work <laughs> um <laughs> oh come on i i don't see my life as being glamorous right <laughs> um my parents you know even my parents like um, go to work Monday through Friday, um, have their community Sunday, they go to church and it's like on repeat. Um, we have people in our community that are single mothers that need to go to work. They can't end up in the streets. So like my question has been, what does it look like to engage with people that are not social media activists mm-hmm. or, um, what does this look like for them too? Because they're part of that narrative as well. <sighs> No, that's a good point. That's a really good point. So what do you think as we're, I mean, I know we've been going here. Um, But uh, what do you think then of, you know, people are starting to label it now. A couple of British social scientists said there's a 30% chance uh, and growing that, you know, we'll see a civil war here in the United States within the next 15 years. Like what is armed revolt in the future? Is it, is it is it necessary? And and I say that before before you say that I say that because I was talking with I've talked with a few people about this and one of the things that we brought up was um, it wasn't love and reconciliation mm-hmm. that beat the Nazis the first time. Yeah, it wasn't love and reconciliation that won the Civil War. So what did that look like? I'm not advocating for that, but I'm but I'm curious because this is this it keeps coming up. Yeah, yeah. So go. Yes. I think that's possible. Um, At the rate that we're going, I think it's possible. I think, um, you know, uh, I saw the I saw a tweet the other day um, that said, you know, um, like first it's the statues that go down and then it's the Constitution that needs to be ripped up and rewritten. Um, And I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's a. It's a scary process, right? Because right. Um, it puts the question of who's making the decisions right. now. Um, 
Yeah, so I definitely don't think that America is invincible. Um, oh, I don't no. think that um, like we're secure or prosperous or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, that, yeah, it's, I would say that 30% chance is a strong 30% <laughs> chance. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't doubt it. Like, do I want war? No. no absolutely no, not. not. No, of course not. Um, the reality is, have we caused war? Absolutely. Um, so I wouldn't, yeah, like, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, does it scare me to think about it? Hell yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially with the ways in which we are um, building relationships internationally, I mm-hmm. feel like, um, and I think in horrible ways, are we building relationships? I think that Trump has been doing a horrible job um, in international relations um, that that that's going to follow us too. So like, it makes me wonder like what kind of help will we get um, from the world? Well, and if the world will side, if it was something like that and you got the U S military against these guerrilla militants, you know, will a force like Russia, yeah, China side with the side of the U S yeah. Right. And then I don't know. These that's a good question. I, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to fear monger, but I, but I think about these things a lot. Yeah, we need to, right? <laughs> this day and age, absolutely. We need to. I really think we need to, and I think it should be dinner time conversations too. At this yes. point, yes. Um, you know, I feel like we've already been talking about how how do we be safe when we go out daily as people of color. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I think these conversations need to be absolutely. included in that. <laughs> That's yeah. what's up. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? What do you got going on now? What's what's happening? What uh, books are you writing? <laughs> <laughs> You've been an advocate for that for a long yes, time. I think yes. that um, so right now I'm about to start another year of um, justice trips. So we were just that's great on break. Um, so actually reimagining what that looks like. Yes. Um, with um, what's happening in our world. Mm-hmm. Um, who are the people that I want to be connected to into the city that can do more training during these justice yes. trips? Um, so I'm really excited about imagining that and developing that a little bit more. Um, s- slowing down, um, going to therapy yes. consistently, yes. Um, and being intentional in the ways that I consume. And then, you know, I want to write um, and desire that. So I'm just reimagining what. Um, how to begin doing that in a different way than what I've known it. Um, uh, yeah, so it. maybe a blog, um, which maybe will then be a book one day. Um, theology so for the people. I'm, exactly. I'm just putting it out there for exactly. Chris Ooh. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We'll see. Right, yeah. So right, just right. just uh, throwing out my thought, thoughts on Twitter, um, being, you know, humorous and also real yes <laughs> yeah keep um, it real. exactly and so where can people find you if they're looking you up and like where is this brilliant yeah. woman at i want to hire her oh awesome <laughs> um i want to give her a grant <laughs> um so you can follow me on twitter at ready at r-e-d-i-e-t uh just my first name i got it early on that it's just That's my first name up. That's what's up. um also my email 
Um, so ready at, at oh, missionier.org. Okay. Yeah. And I'll put all these in the show notes mm-hmm. as well, and as well as any other links you send me and, yeah. and whatnot. Well, Radia, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. And, and down here with the, with the pets and the squeaks. and. <laughs> I call it Animal Kingdom. <laughs> That's down right. Here. It is. It was. It was. Well, my dog's still in the corner over there, and Chester's still down here. But yeah. That's great. It's been great having you. Thank you so much so, for the work you're doing. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. And we'll have you on again. Man, that's powerful. Um, man, I know no I know growing up, you know, I was really taught binary forms of race and ethnicity. Um, I always say this jokingly, but it's the truth. Uh growing up in Menard, Texas, I man, what can I say? I mean, I, I saw black and white, literally. I saw white folks, I saw Mexicans, and I saw myself as black. And I saw a couple of other black folks as well, but I didn't see beyond that and so i remember the first time i saw an asian person like live and in person i was like whoa man that looks that that's an interesting looking mexican right i mean and i say that jokingly but as a, as a kid if you don't know and the media presents these caricatures to you it's it's a little hard to overcome that you know that's why i always tell my students you know we come with our own social constructions of identity formation they form in our family they form from the media and so to have conversations with people like Ready Yet is so important. To have, to end, understand a different part of life. And I just appreciate Ready Yet's soul and her ability to articulate exactly what's going on in her own life, but also around her. And that she has had a journey and that she continues to be on that journey. And that, you know, you just don't stop when you, quote unquote, get saved, right? So if you've enjoyed this episode as much as I have, as I always say like us subscribe to us leave us a comment on our website whitehodgepodcast.com and check out ready yet and what she's doing if you're in the chicago area this woman's around all over the place speaking teaching uh, i've had her in my black lives matter course um so if you're in the chicago area hit us up and come check her out uh and you know support this sister because folks like her are shaping the next generation of theological inquiry particularly in this country all right i'll see y'all next time Peace, y'all.